Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Number two of Extra Point is happening here on KDOS AM 1060, online at KDOS1060.com, and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is a Thursday. It's a game day. It's September 21st. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Let's reset the scene with today's poll questions here. Bob had a conversation with Roxy Bernstein from Pac-12 Networks talking all things Pac-12 football. Yeah, could is it possible that the weekend has like some of the best college football matchups we've seen in a long time, but that contributing to it from a conference standpoint, it might be the Pac-12 leading the way? There's no doubt. Uh, this week, uh, two top 25 matchups and... You know, you got the uh, including Washington State and Oregon State. We'll get to that game in a minute. But, uh, you know, they've been really good so far. You know, the non-conference schedule, they played a couple of decent non-conference opponents and emerged victorious. Uh, so we'll see how this goes. But, you know, the uh, you know the college schedule, this is, a, you know, I can't imagine there's going to be a better college schedule this season than there is this weekend with uh, six top 25 matchups. And it would be seven if Clemson were actually ranked. They're not ranked in the AP poll this week. They are in the coaches' poll, but we don't seem to really count. And I don't really count the coaches' poll because I think that that is just kind of a scam and sham in itself. Uh, so I've always uh, thought that the uh, that the AP poll was uh, much more accurate than the coaches' poll. So. The KDOS1060.com poll question after I got us derailed here. Who do you have Saturday in Salt Lake City? But it was worthy of being derailed. Uh, who do you have yeah, Saturday? I, I, I escalated the derailing. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. uh, who do you have Saturday in Salt Lake City? UCLA plus four and a half or Utah minus four and a half? And Utah remains out in front here. 76% of the vote. UCLA sitting at 24%. And unfortunately, this number is not even close to what it is now. I mean, it's basically six everywhere. There are actually some six and a halfs, including at the Superbook right now in Las Vegas. And here, uh, the Superbook that, uh, you know, the affiliation in Arizona now that the Superbook has, and we have with them too. Uh, but uh, as I just noticed, actually, it went back to six at the Superbook, but it's six and a half at Circa now. Uh, so there's a, the assumption here is is that at least some people in the betting market, I don't think there's been an official announcement, but uh, you know, I'm guessing that people that are pounding Utah at this point think that Cam Rising or have a reason to believe that he's going to play and make his season debut. Over on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060, who wins Saturday at Pullman, Oregon State or Washington State? And Washington State remains in the lead at 57.1% of the vote. Oregon State sitting at 42.9%. Yeah, Oregon State uh, hasn't won a Pullman since forever, 2013, which I guess would be forever. It's a long time. Uh, it's been a while. 
Uh, you know, it's uh, Pullman's an interesting place to go. It's not as uh, crazy a travel uh, for Oregon State as it is from obviously the teams from Arizona or uh, Southern California, but uh, it's still uh, not the easiest place to get to. Uh, let's put it that way. Uh, but uh, they're good, and uh, I think that Washington State, to me, other than obviously Colorado, is uh, the team that I've been most wrong about uh, so far uh, in the Pac-12 compared at least what I thought before the season started. You're right about it not being an easy place to get in and out of. Uh, sometimes we tried to fly in and out of the Pullman airport and they would ground the planes because of fog. So most likely it was easiest to fly out of Lewiston or uh, Spokane, which is an hour and a half away. But I will say this, that the Washington State fan base will certainly be showing up for this contest. No doubt. The only time I've ever been to Pullman is when I was actually covering University of Arizona basketball back in the 70s. And we took a bus uh, from Seattle to Pullman because the weather was so bad that they didn't even want to bother with a plane. And we didn't know, you know, there was, you know, it was a mess. Uh, and then, you know, there wasn't a charter situation at that point. So, it was, you know, it was. It was terrible, and I remember getting out of the bus when we got to Pullman, and it was just like a snowstorm going on there. And living in Tucson for uh, about a decade at that point, I was just kind of, this is not good. <laughs> so I just, uh, Larry Demick was the guy that used to be one of the, he was actually the U of A's best basketball player at that point. He was behind me in the bus. And uh, we, uh, he said something to the, uh, not exact quote here, but uh, you know, I think that we, uh, you know, that, that if we ever went to the, like the the end of the world, we've reached it, or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Well, I was. I didn't. It was hard to argue with him. There was, in fact, it was impossible to argue with him at that point. I will say this much: that you know, yeah, okay. So you were on the bus. You think things are safer, but there's a point in which you go over this pass from Seattle to Pullman, and uh, it's a little dicey if it's a little icy and snowy, like probably the conditions you went uh, through. So you know, glad you're with us today. Me too. Uh, Yeah, for a variety of reasons, and I was. uh, very happy to get out of Pullman uh, when we left. <laughs> we'll answer that question, uh, the who wins question, uh, on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060 around 1130 today. Your phone calls, will take them around 1115-602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in. If you have a Pullman story, feel free to chime in as well. <laughs> the diamond... It's not gonna be, probably not going to be a good one. <laughs> Or or might be a good one if it's like you know, you know some sarcasm involved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could come up with a good one for you, but we'll wait for that for another time. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, they exploded to a 7-1 to victory over the Giants yesterday afternoon. Merrill Kelly picked up his 12th win of the season. Six and two-thirds, three hits, one run, three walks, five strikeouts, and one home run. The home run happened to be the first batter of the game for the Giants. Some history for Corbin Carroll in the game. He stole his 50th base of the season, then he added his 25th home run of the season and he becomes the first rookie to enter the 25 and 50 club uh so has carol pretty much wrapped up nl rookie of the year oh yeah i mean i think he did that in april um i don't really know who a candidate is yeah some of these phony reds players that came up at some point uh, they faded considerably uh, a couple of them have been injured also unfortunately in cincinnati since then and they're not playing right now is they need to win games down the stretch in the playoff race. 
Uh, so that, uh, that I only uh, can't imagine who's even you know, considered to be a, a, the runner-up at this point as far as NL Rookie of the Year. Uh, but for the Diamondbacks here, this is an impressive stretch that they've been on, sweeping the Cubs, sweeping the Giants in this two-game series. So it's a five-game homestand for them, putting themselves in that NL wildcard position uh, behind the Phillies and ahead of the Cubs. You know, is this just indicative of kind of what we've seen all year long from this Diamondbacks team where we've seen uh, them get really hot, go through spurts of major success, then spurts of struggles, and you start to question this team, you start to question pitching or hitting or something at some point in time, and then all of a sudden they work themselves out of it and they go back on uh, a spurt of success? Yeah, even though I think if, until these last five games, I can make a pretty good case that they've been really mediocre, maybe even less than mediocre since July the 1st, uh, maybe even since like June 15th. I remember I had that stat of several weeks ago. After June 15th, they, their offense has really dipped, and that's still actually been the case. They still had some not-so-good offensive performances. But this 5-0 and homestand, they outscored the Cubs and the Giants 37 to 17, 34 to 17, excuse me, in those uh, in those five games. So that's a good thing. I kind of feel sorry for the Giants. They've had major injury issues all year long, and that's just continuing. Brandon Crawford had to leave the game yesterday, and quite frankly, Crawford, who as recently as just a couple of years ago, I made a case for him to be the National League MVP when they were winning 106 or 707 games, whatever it was that year against the Dodgers. And he has really declined since then and been a pretty mediocre player. He's gotten from MVP level, in my opinion, to it looks like he's really old in just a couple of years. Also, yesterday they had to place two more pitchers on the injured list. Alex Cobb, uh, arguably, in fact, not even arguably, their second-best uh, starting pitcher who has been out. Uh, he's been pitching uh, with a hip injury apparently since June and that's why he left the game on uh, on uh, Tuesday night here against the Diamondbacks. So they're just run out, they're out of dudes, and uh, you know they're done. I mean they they're like the three and a half games behind now. The Diamondbacks won that game yesterday. So if there's a tiebreaker against the Giants, which would only happen if the Diamondbacks just have a complete collapse here in the next ten days to end the regular season, uh, the Giants uh, you can stick a fork in the Giants. They're done. The Diamondbacks are off today before they do start a series in New York against the Yankees. To your point here, just looking through the standings, the National League, you have the Braves at 97 and 55, the Dodgers at 93 and 58, the Brewers 86 and 66. Then when you take a look at the wild card race, the Phillies 83 and 69, then the Diamondbacks 81 and 72, the Cubs 79 and 73. Half game back is the Marlins at 79 and 74. The Reds are one game back at 79 and 75. The Giants now at 500, three games back, 76 and 76. And Bob, I don't mean to do this to you, uh, but I feel like I have to because I've heard it now uh, last night. I heard it again this morning, and I'm just kind of like, all right, I need to give Bob the chance to go off on this. The Padres are 75 and 78, four and a half games back. And I have heard now, like I said, last night and this morning that they're still mathematically alive to make the playoffs here. They have to basically run the tables here. But if they run the tables, I'm hearing people say, watch out. They're going to be a problem if they get in. (laughs) Okay, well, they're not going to get in, but they're not a problem if they get in. A good day for the Diamondbacks yesterday. Obviously, they win again against the Giants. 
and the Cubs and the Reds and the Marlins all lost. Absolutely. So very good day for them. Uh, as I said, they are off today before they start their series in New York against the Yankees. On the uh, When we look at what else has going, going on around Major League Baseball, you had the Phillies beating the Braves yesterday 6-5. to five. The Braves uh, move on to play the Nationals today. It's going to be Max Fried on the mound. The Phillies move on to host the Mets. Uh, David Peterson versus Ranger Suarez. But, you know, obviously the Braves have things wrapped up and the Phillies there uh, all wrapped up as well. Well, you think so as far as the Braves. So, you know, they're actually, uh, you know, the Dodgers did lose last night to the Tigers, so that helped a little bit. Uh, but the Braves actually, since they clinched the division, uh, have, I believe, won only one game in a week. Uh, some of that was losing to the Phillies, uh, but they also got swept last weekend at Miami against the Marlins. Uh, so, yeah, last year they just basically cruised into the playoffs and got beat in the uh in the uh, by the Phillies in the in the playoffs, um, uh, they also had injured starting pitchers in that series that contributed greatly to the fact that the Braves lost that game. But how are they going about this? I mean, they do they you know they basically if you know for the most part except for you know when they've had a couple of guys in the injured list for a short period of time, they play really the same eight or nine game eight or nine guys every day in the lineup and. Do you give them some time off? Uh, they haven't yet, but they might want to think about doing that. I know they have a little bit here and there, but you know the approach that they had last year, I think, is kind of uh, you know different because for, as opposed to last year, it just is different because they, for the most part, their pitching is healthy. Now there's a couple of their key starters, including Freed, who wasn't good yesterday, have been a little inconsistent from time to time. And uh, maybe more than a little inconsistent at time to time. And the Braves look like an invincible team like two, three weeks ago. I don't think they look as invincible now, but have they lost their edge? And can they get, how do they get that edge back before the playoffs start? Remember, they're going to have the first, first round bye, too. So that gives them, I don't know, what do they do during that time frame? Do they have inter squad games? Do they, what do they do? The Twins beat the Reds 5-3. The Rangers beat the Red Sox 15-5. The Astros beat the Orioles 2-1. The Orioles will play the Guardians today with Grayson Rodriguez on the mound. I did not see a pitcher yet listed for the Guardians. Uh, the Blue Jays beat the Yankees 6-1. They'll continue their series with Jose Barrios versus Garrett Cole today. The Mariners beat the A's 6-3. And the Angels beat the Rays 8-3. They'll continue the series with Griffin Cannon and Zach Eflin today. Yeah, Brias against Cole is an interesting matchup. Uh, I'm sure if the Yankees lose uh, you know, 1-0 and Cole is great, it'll be his fault because he gets blamed for everything in New York. Uh, it's part of the big contract, I guess. But, uh, you know, he's the least of their concerns. They actually have started to play you know, fairly well, or better at least, here of late until they played the Jays here. And the Jays have kind of... Uh, you know, kind of quietly, I guess, would be a good word to put it, at least especially if you're maybe shifting your attention a little more away from baseball and into football these last couple of weeks. But it looked like the, the Rays were, excuse me, the Jays were kind of you know, done uh, two or three weeks ago, and now they've suddenly kind of put themselves in a really good position to be the second wild card in the league. 
Uh, speaking of that, with the American League standings, the Orioles 95 and 57, the Astros 85 and 68, the Twins 81 and 72, and then the wild card situation: the Rays at 93 and 60, the Blue Jays 85 and 67, the Mariners 84 and 68, and the Rangers 84 and 68. With that, AL West uh, still wildly up for grabs. Well, yeah, the Rangers and the Mariners starting tomorrow play seven out of ten games in the season against each other. Not bad for, uh, well, not bad for viewing, not great for them. I'm sure they would rather have uh, an easier opponent to go up against to get themselves into the playoffs. That's true, but, uh, you know, you, you, know, you got to you know, beat the best to whatever that term, whatever that saying is. Uh, to be the best, I guess it is. That's a Ric Flair thing, isn't it? <laughs> so, not that I'm not a big wrestling fan, but I do a lot of I do a lot of Ric Flair things. So uh, that was one of his things back in the day, and you know, I I think he's still alive. I should know better. I'm sorry, uh, but uh, you know that that was. Uh, I did watch wrestling back in the where was I? I was living in Las Vegas, so I was in the '90s. I used to watch wrestling on WTBS, and I used to actually mute the broadcast until Ric Flair came on and talked. And I just listening to him was just hysterical. To be the man, Daddy, you gotta beat the man. There you go. Good job. Where'd you get that? That's Uh, very good. YouTube coming through with the win. We'll have your phone calls next, 602-260-1060, if you'd like to join in. Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kemp's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com. And with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports, trying to come down from our to be the man, you got to beat the man. It's hard to beat that. We should have done that to end the show. <laughs> good, good, goodbye, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Yeah, a little bit of a walk-off fashion there, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, that's all right. We're just having some fun here on this uh, Thursday, September 21st. If you'd like to join the program, feel free to do so. 602-260-1060 is the number. Uh, there is plenty of college football uh, fun to get into for Saturday, so a couple of the matchups, obviously we'll get into this in more in-depth tomorrow for Friday spread but taking a look at FSU and Clemson here um, you know this is obviously the next step for Florida State football under Mike Norvell Uh, you know he had to go through that period of weathering the storm of people wanting him gone turning the program around uh, taking Florida State to the next level and now it's dethroning a Clemson team that has been supreme in the ACC for quite some time I realize that heading into this contest though Clemson is on Unranked. It has issues on offense, uh, but Clemson has not lost to Florida State at home since 2013. They haven't lost to them, period, in the last seven games. Uh, also, there was talking about this game on ESPN during our break, so I got the you – know, they said, and I don't think this is wrong, I'm going to assume that they're accurate, that uh, Clemson's won 25 straight home games against ACC opponents. Also, though – uh, just from what I had previously noted earlier in the week, 
that uh, Clemson's also one in three in their last four games going back to last season against Power 5 opponents. And uh, I think it's accurate, at least as of right now, that they're not in the top 25. When you look at what's going on for Alabama and uh, Ole Miss here, for the first time since 2015, Alabama enters a game ranked outside of the AP Top 25. I think that that's probably also a justified situation. Actually, in place. The top 10, top 10, right? They're I'm sorry, that's 25. what I meant. Yes, top yeah, yeah. top 10. Yeah. Um, that is definitely a justified place for them to be, though, I think, outside the top 10. Uh, it's back to Jalen Milrow. They go at quarterback here. And then you also just have some familiarity in this contest with Ole Miss's defensive coordinator, Pete Golding. Uh, he was on Alabama's staff from 2018 to 2022. Well, and Sark, obviously, excuse me, not Sark, uh, you know, Lane Kiffin uh, was on the staff. And the offensive coordinator when uh, Alabama could kind of open up their offense back in the day, not kind of, definitely open up their offense. And I think that had a lot to do with Alabama's change in uh, you know, direction. And uh, they won national championships because of that offense and so forth. But that offense has produced just 41 points the last two weeks. And I didn't understand why Milrow was not the starting quarterback last week. I know there's been some speculation that maybe he was actually being disciplined for something, uh, which I think gained a little more steam when you had to wonder after watching, you know, basically, you know, in-app quarterback play from his replacements, plural. Uh, why wasn't Milrow in that game in the second half last week uh, before they pulled it off against uh, South Florida? Maybe Nick just thought they were going to win. I do think uh, Nick deserves a little credit here for not exactly publicly saying that he admitted his mistake uh, by benching Milrow, but he's back as a starting quarterback, and really there's he's the only guy that has any chance to give them uh, an opportunity to win against maybe anybody because uh, South Florida is not exactly a uh, – they're one of the, I'd say, the bottom 25 in college football as far as a program at this point. So they had, they struggled to beat them. And, you know, this rain excuse is garbage. I mean, you know, it was raining for both teams. So, I mean, that's the fact that that game was close because of the monsoon, uh, whatever. That's just That's just people trying to come up with some reason to defend Alabama, I guess. Then you have Oregon and Colorado. Just from a line movement standpoint, I believe this opened up like around 14, and then it's been climbing and climbing, and I think last I saw around 21, 21 and a half. Um, yeah. I'd have to think that some of that has to do with Travis Hunter, but does uh, that can't be seven points worth of uh, movement in regards to Travis Hunter, so it must be the uh, you know belief in Oregon here and what they can do in terms of putting pressure on the Colorado offensive line that has already uh, surrendered a lot of sacks. I think they are uh, fifth worst in college football in terms of how many sacks have already been taken this season so far and their inability to kind of run the football, uh, Oregon being able to put pressure on uh, them with their defensive front in addition to maybe having the offensive firepower to go toe-to-toe with them. Yeah, Colorado, they can score some points here, but I think the biggest problem is uh, their defense is horrible. Uh, they're, they're 122nd in the country in rush defense, and uh, Bo Nix may just you know hand the ball off and scramble, and uh, not scramble because usually that's when you're being rushed. Might be a lot of design runs for Bo Nix. Uh, Oregon has one of the best offensive lines in college football, 
And the Colorado front seven is not good. Yeah. And, you know, have we kind of moved past some of the concerns about Bo Nix uh, in big time games and what he's been able to do uh, with Oregon? I just don't understand this. I mean, he sucked at Auburn because he was horribly coached at Auburn. I think we've all now agreed, and I said so, the minute he got hired at Auburn, that Hartson was uh, just a terrible idea. He basically, you know, derailed the program at Boise State. I didn't understand why he was ever mentioned. The, The U of A supposedly tried to hire him a couple of different times. Thank God that didn't happen. Uh, even though I don't know if UVA is much better off because of what they have done as far as their head coaches the last two times. But uh, yeah, Bo Nix was really good last year, and this road Bo Nix thing is a bunch of crap. Uh, he had some very good road games last year. You know, Bo Nix on the road in the SEC was not good, uh, but how many quarterbacks in the SEC are really good on the road? Uh, then you also have Duke and UConn here. This is more of just taking a look at, at Duke's side of things and just their continuation of, uh, you know, Riley Renner, Leonard at quarterback and their progress here as a team in the ACC. Well, too bad this isn't a basketball game because this would be worth watching. Uh, otherwise, it's not. Uh, Connecticut lost to Florida International last week. Uh, Duke does play Notre Dame next week. And if Notre Dame wins this week... I almost can guarantee you I will be on Duke next week in the Notre Dame in a letdown spot. You also have another uh, top 25 matchup with Iowa and Penn State. Iowa being 24, Penn State being 7 here. Uh, Penn State's just the superior team. They are, but Iowa has a really good defense, and their special teams, again, are tremendous. Uh, So I wouldn't be shocked if they kept this game close. Unfortunately for Iowa, arguably their best player, at least certainly their best offensive player, and they don't have many. Uh, Luke Lachey, the tight end, is uh, almost for sure out for the season. He suffered a terrible lower leg injury last week, and he did have surgery. Uh, They did not officially declare him out for the year, but I would be stunned if he played any time more or if he came back at all this year. Also, the top two Iowa running backs are both out of this game. That was confirmed yesterday by the Iowa folks and uh, Kurt Ferentz and so forth. Uh, Penn State wasn't good last week, and their offense wasn't good last week. Uh, they're kicking a lot of field goals. Uh, they're you know, Basically, their opponents are putting eight in the box and daring Drew Aller to beat them deep, and he really hasn't been able to do that. And that good running game with those two tremendous running backs has not been as effective as Penn State thought it would be. We'll see how this goes. These two teams have played some really close games over the years. That's been the case with Iowa in many years, but uh, we'll see. But, uh, you know, the uh, Penn State's got to, uh, after those first couple of games when they just ran over bad opponents, uh, they really struggled against the Illinois defense last week, and Illinois' defense isn't anything close to what it was a year ago. We'll save uh, the UCLA, Utah, as well as Oregon State and Washington State for the poll questions on the other side of the break. And, of course, uh, we have Friday Spread brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits tomorrow. So quickly, I just want to get into something that uh, caught my attention. Read an article uh, by Jay Hart, and he wrote this opinion piece on aggression versus entertainment. NFL tries to find a balance. Uh, so there's, there's always been this argument here about the
the rules in the NFL and that they're trying to help manage the odds against injury in the league's favor and that it's never going to be able to eliminate injury. But if you can change things for the better to try to preserve the stars on the field, that helps obviously the overall product for the NFL. That's basically the uh, underlying argument that he's making here. And if you look at some significant rule changes over uh, the course of the 2000s here, you have the chop block being banned in 2002, horse collar being banned in 2005, below the waist blocks on receivers uh, banned in 2007, and then certain types of blindside blocks in 2009 became banned. Uh, Obviously, though, some of the key injuries that have taken place so far through two weeks of the NFL season, not necessarily based upon these particular rule changes. If you look at Aaron Rodgers, if you look at Joe Burrow and his calf injury, if you look at Anthony Richardson and and how he's in concussion protocol, Nick Chubb and what happened, I know there's plenty of argument uh, going on right now about Minka Fitzpatrick and the hit there, uh, as well as then Saquon Barkley and his ankle injury. The question here that he poses is that aren't the ticky-tack penalties just a necessary evil for a more entertaining NFL? And he uses like uh, the example of roughing the passer, because if you take the quarterbacks out of play, it greatly alters the entertainment value and the specific matchups that we're wanting to see week in and week out. And when those key players aren't on the field, it hurts the product. Yeah, I don't really understand this argument at all or the premise of this argument at all. It's a violent game and players are going to be injured. And almost every one of those injuries you just mentioned there, with the exception of Rodgers off the top of my head, were not on artificial turf. Uh, and obviously, the Nick Chubb injury was not on artificial turf. And the idea that Micah Fitzpatrick, that was a dirty play, is just complete nonsense. Uh, the fact that the rules where you really get penalized for hitting anybody above you know, the shoulders now, you, know, you don't leave much of an alternative for defensive players but to go low because of the rule change there. I couldn't believe people were actually arguing that the Minka Fitzpatrick hit was a dirty play. And and to your point, uh, you can't lead with the with the head. They're trying to get spearing out of the game for obvious reasons. Uh, sometimes, though, it happens helmet to helmet collisions because the runner, the receiver, etc., changes course of direction as the defender has already made uh, a a move toward trying to bring that player down. So sometimes you can't eliminate those particular hits and how that happens, but you're trying to eliminate going to the head. Uh, you obviously are eliminating trying to go for for the knees. So you really have such a centralized location to try to make a hit. And again, when everybody is moving, it, it's hard to have it be an exact science. Yeah, and I don't know if Fitzpatrick, if he talked to the media, if he had a press conference, or I know he did talk to the media, at least some people in the Pittsburgh media, def, you know, basically had to defend himself for that hit. I don't understand it. The bottom line is that, you know, these athletes are bigger, faster than they've ever been before, and it's a violent game, and unfortunately, there's going to be injuries. And uh, I think there's been, you know, I say this every year, I mentioned this in the, during the sports zone today. It seems like there's more interest injuries, especially in college football, uh, the first couple weeks of the season, the key players that I can recall in previous years. 
I feel like we have injury conversations and we go through cycles when it takes a period of time for coaches, trainers, uh, people that actually have an understanding of the body and, and how to make all of this work come together to to look at some data points and then make adjustments because we, a couple of years ago, the conversations were very much surrounded, uh, you know, these non-contact injuries that were taking place uh, as soon as training camps started. The the second that sort of contact was happening and and that kind of difference between how you're working out and, and what sorts of workouts you're doing to get yourself ready for football, but then all of a sudden you get into the hitting part of it, it, it changes, you know, uh, what you're doing in terms of the little finite muscles and things like that. So it, I, I think it is more as more of this all comes together, you're going to like to your point, it's not going to be eliminated, but there will be some better data to kind of change how you work out or how you do things in order to make the game a little bit better to try to have some of these players on the field. I appreciate the, the data and so forth, but I just, uh, you know, and, and I, I, I definitely, uh, I, they're trying to make things better, but I just don't think it's ever really going to substantially change because you know, I keep saying it's just a violent game and that unless they're going to put flags on these guys, that's not going to change. And at that point, they probably would even... Uh, the non-contact contact injuries, and we'll probably be would we explore that to you know the the end of time. So it's just it's a tough sport. I mean, you got to be a tough dude to play. And uh, you know, I have no, I'm not smart enough to come up whether there's whether there's a solution, uh, but I just don't think that there really is one. I, yeah, you're right. It is a violent sport, um, and especially just as everyone gets bigger, as everyone gets faster, as everyone gets stronger, uh, and you're trying to come to this mesh point, not everything always works out well, right? Correct. It's poll, que- <laughs> it's poll question time on the other side of the break. We get into the Pac-12 here on KDUS AM 1060. Check out KDUS AM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7 channel number two. Poll question time here on KDUS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Bob Cam, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays centering in on the Pac-12 action for the weekend. Bob had a conversation with Roxy Bernstein talking all things Pac-12. If you missed it, podcast it over at KDUS1060.com as well as with the KDUS 1060 app. So here we go. Who do you have Saturday in Salt Lake City, UCLA plus four and a half or Utah? minus four and a half uh, question for me and I don't think we're going to know until game time or just before game time is cam rising back um, that's kind of a, an area of interest for me I know that statistically here UCLA's defense is giving up two rushing yards per carry but how much of that changes with a different opponent maybe a more formidable opponent here in Utah how much does that change having uh, the competency of cam rising uh, at the quarterback position change things we know that Utah is always a physical team so can UCLA match that physicality that Utah 
plays with. Utah, uh, UCLA has certainly made some additions to try to get a little bit more physical, but until you do it, it it's hard to go all in, if you will. Dante Moore from the quarterback position has looked really good, but Utah will certainly be the best team and the best defense that he's faced so far. In addition to that, playing in Utah is a tough place to play, and it's especially been tough for the Bruins. They haven't won there since 2015. Uh, I want to say that UCLA has made that leap. I want to say that they can cover four and a half here, but I do have questions about their young quarterback in that tough environment with Utah's physicality. I would lean UCLA plus four and a half. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm on Utah, and I think that there is certainly enough people on the betting market, the way that this game has moved in the last few hours here this morning, that think that Cam Rising is going to play. He was actually cleared to play uh, two weeks ago and has not the last couple of games. The alternative is turned out to be Nate Johnson, who was the fourth quarterback in spring practice and at the start of the fall. Uh, so he's moved up the charts, and he's mainly a runner. But uh, and the other thing is we're not sure about the Utah other injuries, and we're never going to find out about that until, like, the game starts. That's just the way that Utah works. And uh, they're more secretive about injuries. Uh, seemingly all college teams, or not all, but many college teams are, you know, uh, reluctant to give up any in injury information, um, whether it's, you know, kind of, you know, specific laws or, you know, whether it's a competitive advantage. I'm guessing a little bit of both. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm on Utah here. I think that they'll just uh, physically overpower UCLA this game last year. I was all over UCLA early in the season, and I won that game. Uh, but I'm on the other side here. I think that uh, the fact that I don't think it's necessarily – I guess it is a revenge situation for Utah uh, after having lost last year. But I just uh, would be very surprised that if UCLA, which has not really had any opponent that's any good so far, because San Diego State certainly seems to have taken a couple steps back, I would be surprised if Utah just does not physically dominate this game and win – uh, certainly by more this number, and I would think it would be near double digits. Uh, Utah, masses are on their side of things at 72% of the votes. UCLA, 28%. This is KDOS1060.com's poll question. Flipping it on over to Twitter, at KDOSAM1060, who wins Saturday at Pullman here? It's the Battle of the Pac-2. Also, as yep. a... Also, as I mentioned uh, at the start of the show here, it's the first time that these two teams have both been ranked when they've faced each other. I, I think you can say that Jake Dickert has done a really nice job at WSU. You can equally say the same thing for Jonathan Smith at uh, Oregon State. DJU has looked good under Smith. Uh, OSU obviously has been also riding the ground game. It's been really special with Damian Martinez. So can WSU's defense slow down Oregon? State's rushing attack. Will they win that point of contact? And then in addition to that, Washington State, do you believe in Cameron Ward? Has he taken the next step as a quarterback and a dual threat? I think, though, if DJU, I understand that Oregon State also has not uh, won in Pullman in quite some time. If DJU keeps the ball, though, from the other team, Oregon State can win this uh, if they run the ball. Yeah, I'm not betting on this because I have Oregon State at 10 to 1 to win the, uh, the Pac 12 championship this year. But I'm gonna I'm citing the Oregon State here. Like I said, I have no reason to bet on this game because I already have an investment in the Oregon State, and I think it would be foolish to double it up, especially in September. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. 
Uh, Oregon State, though, they've lost eight of the last nine games against Wazoo, no matter where they played. Last three meetings, uh, they've lost at Pullman, going back to 2013 when they last won at Pullman. I do think that Oregon State, Oregon State has a better running game here, and I do think they have the better defense. I am pleasantly surprised, or maybe pleasantly, maybe unpleasantly if I lose this game, but uh, you know, I, I'm surprised that Oregon, Washington State's been this good. And they've done. You know, they they haven't gone against you know the little sisters of the poor so far. That game that they won at Colorado State certainly looks better after last Saturday night when Colorado State should have beaten Colorado, and they really they beat Wisconsin. I know the score looks a little closer at the end than it really was, but they clearly were the best team in that game. You mentioned Cam Ward. I think that's an excellent point. I'm not sure. Uh, he made a lot of mistakes last year that lost them some close games. Uh, he hasn't really been in quite that situation this year. Uh, so can he get over that hump? They have a new offensive coordinator. He came from Western Kentucky. That seems to have even made this offense better. But I'm going to side with Oregon State. I think they're the best offensive line, maybe in college football. And uh, with Martinez running the ball and DJ doing a nice job so far at quarterback and the better defense, in my opinion, I'm on Oregon State uh, as far as just the purpose of the question and yeah, hopefully uh, they win because uh, I'm just hoping that Oregon State can reach the Pac-12 championship game, and then I can, you know, invest at that point and uh, take some uh, money line whoever they're playing and be guaranteed to win some money. Yeah, that's the best best place to be when you. Yeah, like guaranteed guaranteed winning is a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, the masses though they are in a 50-50 split now between Oregon State and Washington State over on Twitter. KDOS AM 1060. We wrap up this Thursday, September 21st edition of Extra Point on the other side of the break. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Be sure to download that KDOS 1060 app, register, that's a key component here, and then follow along with the listener rewards opportunities as right now there's a potential $100 up for grabs courtesy of Superbook Sports. So follow along with those instructions to get yourself eligible for that as the contest is running through the end of September. One final segment to go here on the extra point. Ready to bring KDUS AM 1060 into your home with Alexa? Hi, I'm Alexa. Download the KDUS AM 1060 skill and enable. Then say, Alexa, open KDUS AM 1060. This is where I start my day. This Thursday, September 21st edition of Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob, it's thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever and whatever else slipped through the cracks. Also, our guest today around the Pac-12 with Roxy Bernstein of Pac-12 and also ESPN. Also a little baseball discussion towards the end of that discussion. Uh, Roxy doing a lot of baseball for ESPN, including this upcoming weekend. Uh, so check all that out. 
Uh, also, uh, on Friday, by the way, at 9.15, we'll get the latest on the Cowboys heading into the game on Sunday against the Cardinals. Michael Gelkin from the Dallas Morning News scheduled to join us at that time. Sound of the day, courtesy of Fox, CBS Sports, FS1, ABC, ESPN, Major League Baseball, and also Pac-12 Network. And also special thanks, as always, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. Up next from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3, the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, and uh, the Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6. You have the Giants at the 49ers tonight, 5.15 p.m. on Amazon Prime. Uh, the Giants will be without Saquon Barkley. They'll be without yeah. the left side of their offensive line, Andrew Thomas, uh, and uh, as well as... Gredison, Ben Gredison, I believe is his name. Uh, so yep. that's certainly going to be a tall order here for the Giants facing the 49ers. Yeah, I, you know, these injuries kept creeping in yesterday. They kind of came one at a time as far as the uh, situation with the Giants. And I just kept thinking Al Michaels was upset last year when they had a lot of injuries and bad games on Thursday night. And he's got a game tonight. Second week of the season, you got a ten and a half point road favorite. I just in fact there's a couple elevens out there as we speak in the last few minutes in Las Vegas. You know what's funny is I kind of thought uh, that I've heard a lot of people say that if it weren't Al Michaels being the one complaining, that maybe there wouldn't have been a huge change and attempt at changing and shifting some of oh, the yeah. Thursday contests. Yeah, I mean uh, he's got a lot of you know a lot of clout, and he deserves to have a lot of clout. So. Yeah, and he, and he had reason to complain because that Thursday night schedule they had last year was awful. Well, what was that? The Titans contest when there were no touchdowns and it was oh the Titans and the well, the Broncos. Uh, and they also just had a lot of games where a lot of key players were injured. And here we are, second game of the season. And arguably, I don't even think it's arguable that three of the best four offensive players in the Giants are out and not playing. But, Bob, I think we have to show, have to end the show just like this. To be the man in the greatest sport in the world, you got to beat the man. That'll do it for Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. If you missed the reference, podcast, KDOS1060.com. It's Friday spread tomorrow in the Extra Point.